You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. Gang's all here, ready to go. Dan and the Dan Ed's Dan Patrick Show. We'll talk to the director of The Last Dance, Jason Hare. He'll join us coming up a little bit later on, as will Reggie Miller. Prominently featured last night in episodes 9 and 10, Reg came off well. We'll talk to Reggie about the documentary and what he thought of how this played out. 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com. Best and worst of the weekend, as we always do every Monday, your chance to be part of the program, whether it's via the tweet, email, or phone call, what you saw that you liked, you didn't like. You can watch if you'd like on youtube.com slash the Dan Patrick show. And of course, listening to 362 radio affiliates across the country and the formidable Fox Sports Radio lineup. If I said German soccer, NASCAR, and a made for TV golf event, that was the weekend in sports, you'd say, that's pretty dry. Actually, it was pretty good. Able to watch a little NASCAR. I did watch the Bundesliga. And a little bit of the made-for-TV golf event. I actually listened to golf, or I listened to soccer on the radio. First half of the Bundesliga. Got up early? Oh, man. 9.30. Flipping through the dial, and all of a sudden I see Bundesliga, and I go, sure, why not? Let me listen to it on radio. That was a different, uh, it, it was different, I will say. It was different, and you could tell the announcers normally looking for a little bit of that ambiance didn't have it, and it, it took a little while to get adjusted to, whether you were listening to it, even watching it, or you were doing play-by-play. But that was the sports weekend, and then, of course, you had the documentary on Michael Jordan and the Bulls. The last dance came to an end last night, a 10-part series, on the Bulls was satisfying for both old and new fans. If you were there, it was fun to reminisce just how great that team was. If you're younger, hopefully you learned something about the Bulls and Michael Jordan and maybe why your dad or your grandfather holds Jordan and the Bulls in such high regard. And there were iconic moments throughout the series. The flu game that we now found out is food poisoning or was it really either one of those? We'll talk about that. The push-off on Brian Russell, the year he played baseball, the shrug against the Portland Trailblazers, 63 against the Celtics in the Garden. But ultimately, the last dance ends where it began in episode one, and that was the inevitable breakup of a great modern dynasty. You started the documentary, and you knew how it was going to end. It ends with the dismantling of the Chicago Bulls. Jordan said he wanted to go for a seventh Management had other ideas, and it, and it seems unbelievable when you're watching it, where you go, yep, we're going to take the wrecking ball to this. We're going to, you know, we're bringing in a new coach, Tim Floyd. We're going to let everybody go. Mike's retiring. Dennis will only play a few more games in his career. Scotty will end up with a couple of teams, and that's it. We're all done. And you go, wait a minute. How could you do that? It was about money, about ego, power. Did Phil want to be part of a rebuild? Did you need to do a rebuild? How much would it have cost to keep the team together for one more year? Money usually gets in the way. But at least the Bulls and Michael Jordan went out on top. Even if there could have been at least one more title, their place in NBA history is secure, and the last dance was a wonderful reminder of just how special they were. Here's Jerry Reinsdorf talking about Phil Jackson not wanting to come back for another year. After the sixth championship, things were beyond our control. 
because it would have it would have been suicidal at that point in their careers to bring back uh, Pippen, Steve Kerr, Rodman, Ron Harper. Their market value individually was going to be too high. They they weren't going to be worth the money they were going to get in the market. So when we realized that we were going to have to go into a rebuild, I went to Phil and said, they offered me the opportunity to come back the next year. But he, but he said, I don't want to go through a rebuild. I don't want to coach a bad team. You know, that was the end. It just came to an end on its own. You know, had, had Michael been healthy and wanted to come back, it, I, I don't doubt that Krauss could have rebuilt another championship team in a couple of years. But you know, it, it wasn't going to happen instantly. You start to look at what 1999 was like, and you had the New York Knicks. The Knicks went to the NBA Finals. And, you know, Rodman was done. Um, Scotty wanted a big payday. If you said I could have Tony Kukoc and Michael Jordan, and, and that's where we're sort of starting, you're already on par, if not better, than any of the other teams you're going to face in the Eastern Conference. Now, we can make an argument here. Would they have beaten the San Antonio Spurs? And I would have my doubts about that because the Spurs were a very, very good team. As we're finding out, they had they had some Hall of Famers you didn't know were Hall of Famers at the time. But I, I don't know if that 99 Bulls team with Michael, I don't know if you would have kept Scotty because Scotty wanted to get paid. I mean, Steve Kerr was integral because he hit some shots, but, you know, he was replaced. He was replaceable, just like John Paxson was. Ron Harper would be replaceable. You know, you, you could have filled it in and still given Phil Jackson something to work with. But would they have beaten the San Antonio Spurs? That's up for debate. All right, uh, we'll come up with a poll question here. Here's something that came to mind last night. And sometimes when you're watching, and I, you know, I don't know who's going to win that game, but I know I have to interview people after the game. Is it you know, Michael's last game? Are the, are the Bulls going to win this, or does Utah extend this to a seventh game? You're watching the last three or four minutes, and you're always trying to figure out, okay, if that happens, you know, we got to get Carl Malone in. Uh, you know, we'll get Stockton. We'll get uh, Jerry Jerry Sloan. You know, do we get anybody from the Bulls if they lose, forcing a game seven? So I start to think of these things because I'm I know I'm interviewing somebody after the the game on SportsCenter. I didn't realize that with two minutes and thirty four seconds to play, the Jazz are up by four. The rest of the way, Michael Jordan single handedly outscored Utah eight to three. In fact. No other Bulls player even took a shot in the final three and a half minutes. In the last three minutes and 40 seconds, Jordan had eight points, two steals, one rebound. The one steal and two of those points won the championship. The steal against Malone and then the jumper over Russell that won it for him. That's when you want great players to be great. And the fact that Jordan saw it, he knew the play with Carl Malone. He had seen it before, made the strip, and then everybody knew, everybody in the building knew Mike was taking the shot. All of his teammates knew Mike was taking the shot. They all said it. Basically, get out of the way. I'm going to go back to something that I continue to rail on. If everybody knows Mike's going to take it, why don't we have a couple more people guarding Mike? Like, I have to make him give the ball up. I watched, and it might have been against the Nets in a playoff game in the Eastern Conference. Jordan comes up one-on-one, -on -one and he hits the game-winning shot. 
And I'm thinking, if I know he's going to shoot it and you know he's going to shoot it, why do I have just one person on him? And if he starts to beat Brian Russell, I'm going to go. I, I want anybody other than Michael to make the shot. I, I can live with Paxson when he did it against the Suns. I can live with Kerr when he did it in the Utah series. I can't live with it with Michael Jordan taking the last shot. It's the same thing when the Cavaliers, I know they sort of double teamed him, but they didn't do a very good job. And they allowed him to take the foul line jumper over Craig Elo. I would never, ever, ever let the best player on the planet have a chance to beat me. And that stood out in that, that sequence there. He, he beats Brian Russell. I know we can talk about was it a push-off or not. The fact that he got that clean of a look, to me, was embarrassing. It really was. This program is brought to you by the great folks at Traeger. They want to help you make the summer the tastiest one yet. Real wood-fired flavor, next-level versatility. Traeger Grills, the ultimate way to cook. Contact your local dealer. Visit TraegerGrills.com slash DP show to get yours today. McLevin, what kind of poll question do you have for me today? So I have a lot of last dance questions or poll questions. Okay. Did you come away feeling that six titles was a bit disappointing for this Bulls dynasty? No. Only from the fact that Michael, when he went to play baseball, that that was the disappointing part because then maybe you got something even more special where you got eight of eight. I don't think they would have won another title. That just my gut feeling. I think that they were done. I think they were drained. Just to be around that with the NBA Finals and to see the circus that was there all the time, I don't know how they could have survived. I don't think that you could keep Rodman on the reservation any longer. Scotty wanted to get paid. They were an older team, and I just don't think that they would have been able to keep that together. I think Phil was burnt, too. I think that they were tired. This was a lot. And remember, Scotty was injured the next season when he went to the Rockets. I just don't know if they... I mean, would they have gotten to the, the NBA Finals? In my opinion, probably so. Were they better than the Knicks then? It would, it would have been a good battle. But were they better than the San Antonio Spurs? I don't know. I don't think so. But that's where I would lean towards. I wasn't disappointed that they didn't stay for one more year. Uh, only selfish reasons I wanted to see Jordan continue to play. But those two years, you know, in the middle... That's where I was disappointed. You know, look, Jordan wanted to go play baseball. Great. You know, lifelong dream. Great. Fulfilled it. I would want to see how they would go against the Houston Rockets. That, to me, would have been very, very entertaining. What else, McLevin? Okay, what this uh, relevant question to that, what's the best team that Jordan's Bulls beat in the finals? Uh, the Rockets, I guess. Or no, sorry, beat in the playoffs. Pacers, Knicks, Sonics, Suns, Blazers, or Jazz? The best team out of that group. I know it's hard to quantify, but... Well, I'm going to go by Jordan in his words that it was the Indiana Pacers because the Pacers had them on the ropes and should have beaten them that year. And that Pacer team was... They were big, they were physical, they were deep, and they gave Chicago a scare. I love the Seattle team. I thought Seattle was a lot of fun uh, with Peyton and Kemp. Uh Nate McMillan, Detlef Schrempf. I mean, they had, a, they had a good team. Phoenix had, had, that was a formidable team as well with Barkley. But I, I would say the Indiana Pacers, that, that was the best team. Yeah, Paul. One little tidbit that I did not remember, the following season after the Michael Jordan retired the last uh, dance, 98-99 season, there was a lockout. 
season didn't start until February 5th. It was a, basically a 50-game season, so they would have had November, end of November, no basketball in December, no basketball in January. But that next season, everybody would have been on the shelf until February. Yeah, they were an older team back then. And, you know, as I said, if you start to take inventory with the lineup there, if I could keep Jordan and Kukoc, now I got a chance. It felt like Scotty was done. And then you start to fill in the voids there, you know, the, the, with missing pieces there, which they had done before. As long as you got Mike, that's a good start there. But give me that San Antonio roster back then, because you had Duncan and you had Robinson. Uh, did, you had Ginobili back then. They have Tony Parker back then. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, the 98-99 Spurs, Duncan, Avery Johnson, David Robinson, Sean Elliott, and this is good Sean yeah, Elliott, yeah. Mario Eli, Steve Kerr, Jerome Kersey, Antonio Daniels off the bench. Oh, so they didn't have Ginobili or Parker? No. Okay. This was early, but that was a very good team. Yes, they, it was. They uh, 37-13 and 13 in 50 games. First in the West. Yeah, I, I don't think a Bulls team that had to be sort of held together by bandages here of who was going to stay and who wasn't, that I don't, I don't think they would have beaten San Antonio. Just my feeling on it, I think they would have had a great series against the Houston Rockets. I think that would have been a great matchup there. Because Houston had talent, they had a team, they had depth, um, and they had some guys that could probably make it at least interesting for Michael, but... Well, what if? What else do you have, McLovin? Okay, uh, we got a tweet, and you could probably answer this, but uh, someone claimed that Allen Iverson was more culturally impactful than Michael Jordan. They did a lot on the cultural impact in the last segment. Yeah. Does that, is Michael Jordan the most impactful cultural player in NBA history, yes or no? Well, impact on whose culture? That's a good question. American or international? How about... Well, international I, Michael did. American, he had a pretty big impact, too. Well, no, actually. he did, but I'm just yeah. talking about his... He became yeah. a global brand, and that's because of the dream team and then this greatness of winning championships. Iverson, in the United States, to me, was more of a cultural icon than Michael was. We had not... I mean, Iverson was different in a, you know, a lot of ways. Michael was a little bit more homogenized. Like he was, he looked like and acted like, you know, from a distance, what you wanted in a superstar. Great smile, seemed like he was a great guy, won all the big games, took the big shots, dressed perfectly. Iverson was different. Iverson came to those press conferences. He'd have a throwback jersey on. He had cornrows. He had tats. Like he was, that was different. We had not seen that before. It felt like Iverson wasn't playing a corporate game. Michael played a corporate game, and he played it brilliantly. But Iverson, I think, had it was more of a cultural phenomenon here in the United States. What else do you have? Quick question: Who was the baggy shorts? Was that Jordan? Yeah. That, or was it Michigan? Or no, 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 no. Fab Five. They, they took that from Jordan and made it seem like it was theirs. That was also all Jordan. The- the bald head was like people started shaving their head. That's because That's a, of Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Jordan did all of this stuff for the Fab Five. They came in and they had black socks and baggy shorts. That Jordan did all that stuff. Okay, I have a baseball question. I could save it uh, based on these. I don't know when you want to get into the new guidelines. 
Yeah, that's that's a little bit. I got to have a little bit more time. There's way, 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 way too much involved in baseball and what they may do. Can they do? What's the time frame? All of those things. Yeah, Paul. There is two shots from last night in the last dance that really stood out to me, like video shots. When Reggie Miller hits that three to go up on the Bulls in the 98 playoffs and Reggie, the whole place is going crazy. Market is it Market Square? I think back then they're going crazy. The Pacers fans are going crazy. Reggie's doing spins and they cut to Larry Bird's face. He has no reaction whatsoever. He, he has he looks like he just lost a, his dog. He's looking at the clock, saying there's still a, a second left for Jordan to get a shot off. And Jordan did not hit it. It went in and out. But it was a great cutaway shot. And then the other one, when um, after Jordan hits a shot against the Jazz and Byron Russell to push off, he sits down on the bench, and the Jazz still had one more shot. Remember, Stockton took the shot. Jordan sits alone on the bench for about 40 seconds. No one's talked to him. He's not in the huddle. And the cameraman just zoomed in on him. And Jordan talked about it. He said, I was just collecting myself. I was beat. I knew we had one more possession, but I needed a minute to collect myself. It was really cool. In terms of records, the best team that uh, the Bulls faced and beat, uh, the 1996 Sonics were 64-18. and 18. Jazz also won 64 games the following season. Everybody won at least 60 games. That uh, the, the best teams they beat in their title runs, you know, the Magic in 1996 had 60 wins. You had a lot of really good teams. The Heat had 61 wins in 1997. 93 Knicks had 60 wins. 93 Suns, they had 62 wins. There were no pushovers. And the most amazing part, and it, it'll, it doesn't get mentioned, the Bulls' defense in the finals in 1998 was clinical. The Jazz, I believe, were the second or third highest scoring team in the league that year. And I believe in one game, they were held to 54 points. When you're thinking the Bulls and you think Michael and Scotty and Tony, and they played defense, man. They played defense. That's the lowest scoring total in an NBA Finals game in the shot clock era. The Bulls played lockdown defense. I don't know if Utah scored over 80 points in that entire series. That's how great that Bulls defense was. All right. Phone calls coming up. Best and worst of the weekend. We'll settle on a poll question. Play of the day. Stat of the day. Reggie Miller a little bit later on. And the director of The Last Dance, Jason Hare, will join us coming up as well. We're back after this in The Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to The Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for The Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address, dp at danpatrick.com. I always see a smile on Seton's face when I say, Bundesliga. And the fact that I, it was 9.30 in the morning, and I'm driving around, I went over to the man cave, wanted to shoot some hoops, hit a couple of golf balls, and then on the way back, I go, well, let me see what's going on, go through the dial there, and then I see soccer. And I went, man, I'm going to make Polly really proud <laughs> if I listen to the Bundesliga, Dortmund, and I said, all right, let me, and you could tell it was just odd because yeah. you got the announcers and they're, you know, they're trying to play off this. There's no crowd and radio was just so odd. TV, it looked better. It, it was different. But man, that radio portion of it, it was just awkward. Did you watch the Bundesliga, Seton? 
I did. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday and Sunday. And you know, what was interesting is that you had these live games going on. And then at the same time over on NBCSN, they were running classic Premier League matches, mm-hmm. um, which obviously if they're classic, they're great games, but it really showed you the importance of a crowd. Um, and just those moments and sort of like heightening the tension and everybody's going nuts. And you're like, dang, you really it, it was such a stark contrast between the two. But you had and you're right. When you think of a crowd and the ambiance, you know, when you have the Premier League, any of those soccer venues, you know, that those crowds are passionate. We think college football is passionate. They have nothing on these crowds. Yeah, Paul. I didn't think about it till you just mentioned it, but. You know, live sports on TV with no crowds on TV, uh, you know, is tough. But on radio, it's it's almost impossible because it's just going to be no background noise, no reaction. It's there's no no visual to distract you. Everything, yeah, it's all you're just listening. That's so I can't watch something. I'm just listening, and I I listen for a half hour, and I I thought, boy, I is this what we're headed for this upcoming baseball season or football season? basketball and it it took a little while to get used to but i think that that's the direction we're probably headed in um you got another poll question paulie's got a poll question is is this one we're going to go with or this is just a topic it's snarky okay Okay. all right so after all these years the game five jordan flu game as it was called and dubbed for years they've did specials on nba tv the flu game is now called the food poisoning game because of michael jordan michael jordan's trainer and his personal assistant and Michael all told the story last night on The Last Dances. They ordered pizza at 1030 at night. Michael ordered pizza. He was hungry. Five guys show up from the local pizza place. They were worried about it in the moment. Michael ate pizza, woke up at 230 in the morning, throwing up sick, had food poisoning the next day. Do you guys buy that story? And in the moment when you're watching, did you buy it? And what do you think really happened? I don't know what really happened. Uh, he was the only one that had the pizza. If my trainer is there, the guy who has made me into this machine, is my trainer letting me have pizza at 1030 at night? Yeah, Paul. That's where the story collapses upon itself. Now, Michael Jordan, he can do whatever he wants, but if he orders pizza for a room full of guys, nobody else has one slice. Nobody else mm. orders a chicken parm and throws it on the mix in the mix, too. You order pizza with a group of guys at a late night hotel room, and you're the only one who eats. Does that, that doesn't make sense. Okay. Did anybody ever find out what pizza place delivered said pizza? How many of these pizza places are there? Who were the five guys? Had the five guys, unless they started the hamburger joint, they went from delivering pizza to starting a hamburger place called Five Guys. Who are these five guys? How do you doctor a pizza? <laughs> I Okay. I if If I'm Salt Lake City... Tribune, I'm I'm going all in on this and finding out where's the pizza place. Where are these guys now? What do they have to say about this? Deep dish, deep dive tonight. Yes, Todd. Yeah, why does it take five guys? Is it the pizza mafia? Are they hoping to meet Jordan? They recognized who the pizza was going to. Why do you need a group? Well, not why do you go think? Make sure he eats it. Well, if you know it's Michael Jordan that you're delivering the pizza to, when we had Will Ferrell in here, we had people who were trying, there were fake orders. We didn't order pizza. Somebody showed up and said, hey, we got pizza for Will (laughs) Ferrell. I go, we didn't order it, and we didn't let him in. Yeah, Seton. 
Yeah, I, you know, it is interesting that after all this time, the, the pizza story finally comes out. It's been called the flu game for 20 years. And now it's, oh, no, it's actually the food poisoning game. Why, mean, that, what, that story could have come out at any time. Why didn't he correct us? Hey, hasn't it been around? Everybody called it the flu game. They're still calling it the flu game. The food poisoning game just doesn't sound as, I don't know, heralded. Oh, it's the food poisoning game. Yes. Yeah, well, like you can't you can't correct stories like that because then the ones that you don't correct uh, must be true. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, McLovin. Yeah, I get the uh, trainer and the you know, you can carb load if you're a heavy athlete like that. You can mm. eat pizza late at night. I thought about that. And, you know, I can't carb load. I, I uh, don't work out like that. So a pizza would kill me at two in the morning. How is it, though, that Mike is the only one ordering pizza or the only one who's going to eat the pizza that nobody else had it it makes it convenient nobody else had it therefore nobody else got food poisoning those are air quotes if you're listening on radio um so i I, where's the pizza place and where are the five guys who went how do those five guys keep it secret all these years kept it quiet somebody keep the receipt did Jordan sign for it? You got his autograph there? I don't know about this. Well, you, but you can't exactly be the guys who admit that you messed with Michael Jordan's pizza to get him sick so he couldn't play in the game, right? But you didn't know. that. Like, we had nothing to do with it. We just delivered the pizza. We're pizza delivery guys. We didn't make it. And what, what did you put in that would, would get him sick? Like spoiled cheese here? Doesn't somebody, does Jordan have a food tester? Yeah, Paul. If the Jazz had won the title, those five guys would be heroes. There'd be a statue of those five guys carrying a doctored pizza <laughs> in front of what, you know, the building. But since they didn't win, they're not heroes. Yes, Todd. Wouldn't you be up in arms? Were they up in arms? I don't remember any stories about you know anyone going to the press saying, how dare they accuse us of trying to poison Michael Jordan if you're so adamant that you didn't do anything. We don't you know. know. We The story just came out last night. We don't know anything about the pizza place. I, I would like to find out about that. If, if it's not you know the flu, Paulie, see if you can order some pizza there in salt lake salt lake is a hotbed of italian food dan i don't know where i'm gonna start michael even in salt lake was he in park city that's what i would want to know yes mclovin you bring up a great point like how do you know how to poison a pizza and like if you do it could you have killed michael jordan like that doesn't sound realistic how would you possibly do that the plot to kill michael jordan that's not why the Five guys aren't standing up because they that's like a huge crime, isn't it? To poison a pizza. <laughs> deep dive, deep dish. <laughs> Next. Yeah, it's just it's kind of goes along with Jordan. Why did he go and play baseball? I don't know. I guess he wanted to pay tribute to his dad. All right. Next. Uh, Jordan with the flu game. No, it's the food poisoning game. Why did it take this documentary for... Somebody to not clarify that and say, you know, by the way, Mike had food poisoning. Yeah, McLevin. There was a lot in this documentary, like things that were happening at three in the morning that the documentary was downplaying. Like, yeah, I was at I was at AC. We got back by 1030. Like that was a consistent theme. But that uh, late night stuff was no no big deal. Well, back then, apparently it was no big deal. But if it happened today, then, of course, you know, we would be up in arms. Uh Jordan or uh, Rodman saying, I'm going to skip practice to go to a wrestling event. 
And the fact that he did it and he got fined 25 grand, but he made, I think, 250 grand for going to. And what are you going to do to Rodman? Like just crazy stuff back then. And I'm on the periphery. You know, I would only hear stories through, you know, some of the other players. If it was Judd Bushler or Steve Kerr, uh, Bill Wennington, Will Purdue. That's where I'd just say, hey, what's going on? Or, you know, help me understand this. Or does this always happen? How does, does Michael get along with Dennis? How's Scotty, you know, know, I would get information that way. But none of this other stuff. And I think that there is this trepidation that still exists with players, former players, saying anything negative about Michael Jordan. Look at Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan, friends for two decades, thick as thieves, playing golf, smoking cigars, having drinks, good friends. And then all of a sudden, Charles criticizes Michael as an owner. But he critiques him in saying he's got too many yes men. So here's Michael who can criticize everybody, and you're supposed to take it because I want you to be great. Charles is critiquing Michael to become a better owner, get rid of these yes men. Michael Jordan hasn't spoken to Charles Barkley since then. So Michael could dish, but he couldn't take it because Charles was saying, as an analyst, Mike is not a good owner because he surrounds himself with yes men. That, found, that struck me as hypocritical on Michael's part, that Charles is saying something that is real because Michael hasn't been a good owner. He hasn't. Where's that same competitive drive to be a great owner that there was as a great player? I was curious about that as well. But Charles says something and Michael freezes him out. And that's sad. It's unfortunate. And Charles knows it, that it, they'll never repair it. But what Charles was saying is probably accurate. All right, a couple of phone calls here. Uh, Jimmy in Chicago. Hi, Jimmy. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. Morning. Hey, bud. Uh, just a couple. Hey, uh, just a couple of thoughts about uh, last night's uh, episodes of The Last Dance. Uh, awesome last two episodes to close it out. Um, I just love the, the part when the guy was talking about uh, someone was talking about MJ always being in the moment and always ready to perform. Um, I cried when uh, they showed the, the clip of MJ falling into Pippen's arms during the flu game. Yeah. Uh, brought back memories. Uh, the love that they had for each other was, you know, just uh, was there. And MJ's love for the game was so transparent, you know, to the whole world, his love for the game. Um, also, MJ walking to the hotel after they won the sixth title, that was, and then him playing the piano, celebrating. Uh, seeing that footage, never, never seen that before. That was awesome. And, uh, you know, I just think that you uh, – forget the greatest player. Who, who – who is the player you love the most? You know, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, that was MJ. So just want to share that. All right. Well, thank you, Jimmy. There was something that stood out, and probably nobody even noticed it. But I did. And when they're running sprints in practice, you know who's leading the sprints. Jordan is talking smack, and he's running those sprints. So here is the best player. And he never mailed it in. Even in practice, he just never, ever mailed it in. And it, there was part of me that felt sad for Michael last night, believe it or not. Because I think he was a prisoner of his greatness. I don't know if he knew who he could trust. I don't know if he had a lot of friends. His friends were security people who were paid to protect him. He had Ahmad Rashad, who was always there with him. Quinn Buckner was there, former NBA player. But I, 
I don't know. There was part of me that I think that's why Michael started to tear up in an earlier episode where he was talking about how tough he was on his teammates. I don't think that he could be anything different than what he was and who he was. And I did feel sad for him because I don't know how much he enjoyed it. I think it was just in his DNA. This is how I do it. And I can't do it any differently. I can't be nice. I don't know how to be nice. I have to be cutthroat. I have to win. I have to win at everything. I don't care what it is. $1 poker, $25,000 poker hands. I have to win. I have to win in sprints. When the luggage comes out, my luggage has to come out. That's got to be tiring. Got to be tiring to be in that, that vacuum, in that world. But it's got to be tiring to be around that constantly. But I did. I felt a little bit sad. All right. We'll take a break here. We'll get to phone calls coming up. Best and worst of the weekend. Once again, the director of The Last Dance, Jason Hare. He did a great job. You know, it, 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 was, it was really well done. Um, and I still go back to the great line by Sam Smith, who joined us. Uh, Sam, who wrote The Jordan Rule, said, you know, based on a true story. You know, it, it, it wasn't your true typical documentary, but it was entertaining. And uh, just a great reminder for those of us who are around it. And Reggie Miller will join us coming up a little bit later on as well. And I was, I, I text Reggie last night prior to the episode. And I said, good luck tonight. <laughs> he said, it's a tough audience. I said, it's an audience of one, Michael Jordan. But I thought Reggie came out well. I think Mike had uh, some great respect for him. Play of the Day is up next here on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. We've got some phone calls to get to. James in Utah leads us off. Hi, James. What do you have? Hey, good morning, guys. How are we doing today? Good, good. First time, long time, 16 to 190. Ding. Okay, so I'm out here in Utah, and the guy that delivered the pizza, he's actually a buddy of mine, the one that delivered the infamous pizza to Jordan, and I was texting him during the show, and he's, he's told me the story before. Um, he was actually working at Pizza Hut downtown at a Pizza Hut that doesn't exist anymore because they're they revamped downtown a couple of times over the last couple of decades. Um, but he was working late. He knew the guys that worked at the Marriott. The Marriott's literally two blocks from at the time the Delta Center. Um, knew the play, you know when the players show up and stuff. Now he was actually a Jordan's fan. He was actually a Bulls fan. And so when the order came in for the pizza, he remembers saying, "I better do this myself, guys." So he personally made it: pepperoni, large, thin crust, fifteen bucks or so. And he wanted to make sure that nothing happened to it. And that's why he made it, he delivered it himself. Now, he also mentioned that from the show last night, there wasn't no five guys. It was just him because there's no way in the world security is going to let five guys deliver a pizza to Jordan's room. Uh, Grover answered it. It was a $15 or so pizza. Gave him a 20 keep the change. Called it good. And nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. He was making pizzas all day. That's his job. So um, he was actually a little upset and perturbed that Jordan got sick, but it was amazing that he still won the game and makes for a story to tell. You know what? The I-team wants to talk to you. Can you stay on hold, James? And now. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, Paul. Story debunked. Story debunked, Dan. That's a full debunking. We're going to have to have <laughs> episode 11 here. 
Just like the the debunking episode here. The right. last sauce. <laughs> I like deep dive, deep dish. That's next. You should voice it. Yeah. All right. Some phone calls here. Best and worst of the weekend. Also, uh, Daryl in Texas joins us. Hey, Daryl, what do you have for me? Oh, Dan, I just want to say, uh, and, and good morning, but I want to say on the Barkley deal, don't you think Jordan was perturbed that he had to hear over the air about how bad of an owner he was? If they were so good friends, wouldn't that be something that he and Jordan had talked about? Because on the flip side, Jordan would have told him to his face, dude, you're a bad owner. It seemed like Jordan heard about it on the air from a quote-unquote really good friend and buddy. That's the part I think I would be pissed off about if I was Jordan. Yeah, but he was asked about this. Charles didn't just volunteer it. And and Charles is readily available. And somebody asked about He said it on our show before. Because I said, you know, what is it that Michael doesn't evaluate talent? When you think about it, you know, his drafts with uh, Adam Morrison and Kwame Brown, those are really huge misses there by Michael. And with Charlotte, Charlotte has become just an average place. How many free agents have gone to Charlotte? Since Michael's been there, how many big-name free agents? To play for an owner, that's Michael Jordan. I mean, you know, those are just the facts here. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't take away anything that Mike did as a player. But if I'm assessing him as an owner, he's been substandard. That's all. I mean, that, we do that with other owners. Now, Daniel Snyder, that seems to be a yearly thing. Haslam in Cleveland. Like, we, we talk about owners. Mark Cuban's done a great job as an owner. So we're just looking. If you're Michael Jordan and you're that great as a player, how are you going to be as an executive? How are you going to be as an owner? That's all. And I think Charles, and maybe he could have said it privately. Maybe he said it privately. Maybe Michael didn't like that he said it publicly. Charles' job is to say things publicly, too. He's an analyst. And I just found it that Michael couldn't accept that. But he could criticize everybody. And you were supposed to take it. Here's Charles saying, for Michael to be a better owner, he's got to get rid of these yes-men who he surrounds himself with. That's all. Uh, Caleb in North Carolina back on the show. Hey, Caleb. Hey, Dan. 65-250. And, uh, yeah, just uh, best and worst in the weekend. Actually, let me get back. I'm calling BS on James in Utah. That's another Tom and Ohio story there. And then, but uh, best and worst, best is just sports back in general. This week, loved watching German soccer. Bundesliga. <laughs> then uh, worst was the golf on Sunday. I mean, no personalities whatsoever. Uh, really hoping Tiger and Phil's match Sunday is better. And a uh, big yeah. shout out to Chat Row. Love you guys. All right. Well, thank you, Caleb. Yeah, we decided on our chat row T-shirt there. Yeah, I watched a little bit of everything. You know, the, the golf, I just, I'm just interested in seeing somebody do something that I'm not allowed to do. <laughs> Go out there and play. I mean, those aren't the best personalities. You, you had Rory, but, you, you know, if, if you wanted to get some affable guys there that would be, you know, I, I wanted some conversation. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're slowly inching our way back there. Greg in Illinois is joining us. Hey, Greg. Hey, DP. Good morning. Hey. Uh, best and worst in a question for you about the last dance. Best is uh, Carl Malone getting on the bus after they lost. Pretty cool. Uh, to me, yeah. 
Pretty cool. Uh, worse, worse was learning how Steve Kerr's dad got assassinated. I had no idea yeah. that that's how he passed away. My question for you is: Do you think? Do you think uh, Malone declined an interview, or maybe that's something we could ask Jason Hare later because um, he wasn't on there. I'm going to ask Jason. I don't know if it was a situation similar to John Stockton where the uh, quarantine happened and then they were trying to get John Stockton to do it. Stockton didn't want to do it because he said, I don't want to be part of a puff piece on Jordan. Maybe Carl Malone, who I would think would be available. I just don't know. I'll ask Jason here if Carl Malone said that he didn't want to do an interview. And I think I asked that with uh, Jason last time he was on, like how many how many people said no to being interviewed? And I don't, because his Michael's ex-wife was not on there and his children were not interviewed. And I guess that was by design. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the ex-wife is not going to want to be, you know, effusive in talking about Michael's greatness. But did the, do the kids have stories? That, that's the only part that I would have been curious about. You know, what do they remember about this? If they remember much at all. All right, one hour in the books, two more to go on this Monday. Best and worst of the weekend, more phone calls. The director of The Last Dance, Jason Hare, will join us coming up in about 20 minutes. And Reggie Milner stops by as well. Hope you'll stay tuned here. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show.